Are you ready? Hey, you think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down! Welcome to I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting, talking mostly sports, mostly in the SEC, and mostly with the Bama bias. And now, time for your hosts. Tom was a regular starter on his peewee football teams. After high school, he took a relatively unknown intramural college football team and had them one win from the playoffs. Late in his college career, he was a two-sport star and relinquished his college eligibility to enter the NBA draft. As an undrafted free agent, he turned to sports gambling and poker to make ends meet. Now he's here to share his life experiences and general sports knowledge with the world. He's Tom Sims, he's Rush Chairman, and he's damn glad to meet ya. His sidekick, who hails from Parts Unknown, Red Bay, he claims he can beat any listener at Galka, which is probably correct considering you guys have like eight listeners. He has three Fortnite Victory Royale solo wins. He's been known to weeble and wobble, but he's never fallen down. He has the face for radio and the voice for newspaper, Mr. Jason Tiffin. Welcome to the second podcast episode of I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting. I'm Jason Tiffin, and along with my co-host Tom Sims, we're here to talk about college football, mainly in the SEC, and mainly Alabama. Uh, this is, like I said, this is one of our second one. It has to be better than our first one, doesn't it, Tom? I guess we'll see. I, but, of course, I'm very optimistic. Not about this show, but just in general. But surely it can only go up from here, right? Uh, yes, I think you're exactly correct, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Tom, you got the word of the day. As we know the format, we're going to have a word of the day. If the word of the day is spoken by me, because Tom should be easily able to work it in, because it's his word, uh, I'm not privy to the information. Privy would be another good word of the day. Uh, Excellent That's for word. another podcast. But Tom will have the uh, Tom will have the word of the day. If I work it in, we're going to drink copious amounts of alcohol. So, Tom, what's the word of the day? Well, tonight's word will be Bomber Peak. Bomber Peak. And uh, unlike how you left us hanging last week, I'm going to explain a little bit about this word to our one listener so he'll be able to follow along. Bomber Peak was a term coined by Steve Ballmer of Microsoft in the 80s. It was originally used for computer programmers, but it really can be applied across a wide range of different options. The term means that drinking alcohol improves cognitive ability up to a point, much like a bell curve. Ballmer found initially their programmers would become super productive while first consuming alcohol until a point where they became sloshingly drunk, and then, of course, their productivity tanked. But I found that this has held true for a lot of encounters in my life. Uh, playing pool comes to mind, billiards, as you Brits would say. Uh, cornhole, poker, 
I can remember many and even me and Gober out shooting pool and I couldn't hardly keep my eyes open, but couldn't miss on a pool table. So I bet you got your own. Dude, you're that you're that's the word. We could bl- we could blindfold you with dental floss. Your eyes are almost shut anyway. But continue. <laughs> no, that's it. Just work it in, Bomber Peak. You know, I don't. Other than just saying Bomber Peak, that one does not count. By the way, I don't know that I can work that in. We'll try it. But speaking of the bell curve, <laughs> I was telling my daughter about the bell curve, uh, what kind of what I, my understanding of the bell curve is, and you know how the population falls in a bell curve on pretty much anything, whether it be playing football, uh, playing checkers, digging a ditch. You know, you have a one, two, and three standard deviations away from the mean, and uh, the the farther you go to the right of the mean, you're three standard deviations away from the mean. You're pretty darn good at the the activity you're doing. Tom, are you plus or minus three standard deviations away from the mean on anything in your life? Uh, I'm pretty much out there on the edges of the curve, and sometimes it's not on the good edge. <laughs> That'd be the negative. So I have found uh, out this. Uh, that'd be the started negative. Started playing edge. Fortnite again. And I have found, I have found out that I am definitely minus three standard deviations away from the mean on Fortnite, and it's just a sad <laughs> state of affairs when I play. All right, enough talking talking about the word and the and the uh, the bell curve. Let's jump right in. We're going to cover the SEC East this week, and uh, the format we're going to use. Let me get a pen and paper because I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna disagree, and I'm gonna try to keep up with it. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to state the team I have at seven, six, five, all the way to number one, and then you will counter and, uh, whatever team I say I have at seven, you will say, nah, I ha- yes, I have that team at seven as well. Or you can say, no, I actually have that team at such and such. And we'll go from there. All right. And starting out in the East at number seven, I'm going to have a team here that there's a few guarantees in an uncertain world. We can we have a few of them here on this podcast. One, we're going to crack some jokes that myself and Tom and maybe one or two other listeners are going to think it's just absolutely hilarious. Everybody else can be like, dude, these dudes are terrible, and you're going to be correct. Uh, number two, we're going to consume beer every every podcast. Tom, I am knocking out some the champagne of beers tonight, the Miller High Life. What do you have? I'm on the uh, Cahaba Blonde from the Cahaba Brewing Company. Very delicious. Uh, that's to say, you're you're a man that likes uh that does not like change. So that if I'm not actually, mistaken, I that just, was first podcast beer. Yeah, actually, what I do is I drink everything that's in my refrigerator before I replenish, so I still have some left. <laughs> uh, not a bad, not a bad uh, strategy at all. And number three, I'm always going to have the Tennessee Volunteers at number seven in the East. They underperformed last year. They were five and seven overall. And one and seven in the league, but that one win, Tom. Do you remember who the one win was against? Oh, let me see if I can recall. Oh, I believe that was a road victory at Auburn. That was the Auburn. You're correct. That was the Auburn Plainsmen, Tigers, War Eagles, and whatever every other mask, whatever other mascot they have uh, drummed up now. Uh, I, I just feel like that Tennessee should never be one and seven in the league, even though they're recruiting the state of Tennessee. I never understand why the state of Tennessee recruiting is not as good as Alabama, and I, probably not even as Miss, as good as Mississippi. 
I can understand why it's not as good as Georgia or Florida, but, I mean, they have some metropolitan areas. Memphis has an NBA team. Nashville has a hockey team. Knoxville is bigger than Birmingham. It's just good football. High-level football is just not played in the in the state for some reason. And then you have, uh, you have players that normally would come from the Carolinas that would go there back in the former days. They're not going anymore. Uh, North Carolina is very good. Of course, we know what Clemson has done. When Spurrier was at South Carolina, he kept some of those players at home, and that trend has continued. So year two is normally the magic year for the coach. Uh, Urban Meyer, he won the national title at Florida in year two, if I'm not mistaken. I think year two was 06. And then I know his year two in Ohio State was 2014. So he won the national title twice. Nick Saban was almost national champion his second year at Bama. And Urban Meyer stopped him from that. Of course, we won it in year three. I think Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, I think 2000 was year two for him. He won the national title. Gene Chizik from Auburn, he won the national title. And I'll tell you, when he won the national title, I was as shocked as anybody listening to this podcast. But that was year two. But I don't. I think Pruitt's a heck of a coach from what I've heard and what I've seen. I just don't think they have the athletes that are going to be able to, to make much noise in the East. Uh, so I've got Tennessee at seven. Where do you have Tennessee, Tom? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I have them at four, and I'm going to tell you something that's uh, likely going to be a little bit shocking to you, apparently. Uh, before before tonight's podcast, I did a little research and uh, was looking at the Recruiting rankings over the last four years, just a combined metric for all the teams. Oh my, are you okay, Tiffin? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, Tennessee has logged the number 17 rated combined recruiting class over the last four years. I didn't realize they were that high. You obviously didn't with uh, with your uh, spill about not getting good players in over there. 17th, that's I, – I mean, don't get me wrong. We're from Alabama. We, we sit here and we look at one and we're disappointed when we're two. And if some services have us five, we're, we, we claim they don't know what they're doing. Uh, so, I mean, we're used to being up there the last you know decade or so. But 17 still a pretty solid recruiting class. Um I mean, for comparison, Clemson over that last four years. You want to take a guess? No, lay, lay it on me. I'm not sure uh, where you're going here. <laughs> Clemson's only got the tenth ranked recruiting class, so you know by that standard, Tennessee's not very uh, far behind. But I will say this: that still makes them seventh in the SEC, even though they're seventeenth overall in the nation. Pruitt's got them on the upswing in the talent department, but I think it's just a matter of whether they can show it on the field, which they haven't so far. I think the Auburn game, which you brought up last year, was Pruitt's first game where he won one where he wasn't supposed to. I want to say he was 12, 13-point underdogs in that game. Um, He's going to have to crack a few more of those to make some noise, but I, I definitely see him getting back to a bowl game this year, so... Hey, if they get a little luck going their way, they might get to eight or nine wins. But that's that's an absolute ceiling. Yeah, that's uh, you bring up a lot of good points there that uh, I would love to have heard if it wasn't for the dogs barking. So maybe our <laughs> listeners heard all that. 
All right, moving on to number six, I have Missouri. And, I mean, these guys still in the SEC, they have been – how the, how in the world they managed to go to Atlanta in back-to-back years? And I think they started in the SEC in 12. That's when, uh, when A&M and Missouri came in. So, Missouri went in 13 and 14, I believe. 13 Auburn beat them and 14 we beat them. I don't know how they managed to pull that off. It shows you how weak the East was. Um Kelly Bryant transferring in is a, is going to be interesting. We can keep an eye on that. And if he pans out to what Missouri hope he pans out, then maybe I will sit here in January or in de- early December with egg on my face. But I just don't see it. They 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 play Big Twelve style football in the SEC, and as Oklahoma can tell you, that just does not work. So Missouri is my number six team. Where do you have Missouri, Tom? Well, you're jumping right into what I consider my sleeper team of the SEC. I have them finishing second in the East. Um, that's a, I know that's a leap. They went 8-5 and five last year. And then, of course, like you mentioned, they picked up probably the biggest free agent or one of the biggest free agents in the market last year in Kelly Bryant. That's exactly what college football has become is free agency, by the way. Um but to top it all off, Missouri's schedule is weak as my three-rep squat max. They have five road games, and four of them are against Wyoming, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Arkansas. I'll repeat that, Wyoming, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Arkansas. That's four out of their five road games. They catch Georgia on the road, but they're not going to win that game in any zip code, so that's, that's irregardless. Um, but each of the other four games are, are winnable on the road. So, you know, if they pick up a little confidence, pick up a couple of the uh, wins out of conference against a smaller competition and, and hold <clears throat> and, and can pick up those road games, uh, you know, they have a fairly tough home schedule. But West Virginia, South Carolina, Florida, and Tennessee, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could win three of, three of those four. Uh, they might even sneak up and get four out of the four. So I'm I'm going out of limb saying Missouri is going to run ten and two, possibly even eleven and one if they if they get really hot. So yeah, that's my surprise team. So that was the, so that's not a joke. That's that you're actually you're going with Missouri Missouri number two. I don't joke very often. You don't joke well very often. All right. Well, Tom, uh, that, I, I knew we would differ on this, and we are differing. That, that is for us for a four-spot differ right there. Number five, I have Vanderbilt. Now, Vandy, when James Franklin was there, he really turned them around to a respectable team in the SEC. I think they got nine wins one year with 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 uh, Franklin. And so, very impressive feat for Vanderbilt. And Derek Mason, which I thought was um, – not a great hire, and he didn't have a very good first year, but he has really turned it around, and he he has had some good victories victories there. I've got them at number five. They've, I mean, honestly, they're state champs for, what, two or three, four years running now? So, you know, Tennessee's going to have to beat them before they can set their sights on Georgia. But I think Vandy wins enough to stay out of the cellar. Where do you have Vanderbilt? I have them in the cellar. <laughs> uh Vanderbilt's going to be soft as pudding this year. The only highlight of their whole team is Keyshawn Vaughn. 
which is a running back, of course. And, uh, you know, the uh, Vanderbilt, if you looked at last year, I mean, they went 6-7, and seven, but they were competitive last year. They really were. They, they, they had some game. They had a Notre Dame whipped, or at least was very competitive right to the end. I, I thought they should have won the game. Um, you know, and everybody remembers Notre Dame ended up in the playoffs undefeated with a quick exit. But uh, Vanderbilt last year, like I said, they, they were competitive even in a lot of the games that they lost. They they won several games uh, that I didn't think they would have won, but they were, they were pretty good, but they did it mostly with offense. Uh, that's strange to say, but, you know, their defense was not great last year. Uh, but Kyle Shermer, uh, quarterback, was uh, was solid. He played well all year, kept him a lot of games, and, and won a lot of games for them. But he's gone. Uh, you know, the defense gave up almost 200 yards a game. Uh, and, and then on top of that, they're going to lose seven of those starters after giving up 200. When I said 200 yards, I meant 200 rushing yards. Excuse me. Uh, so, and they're losing seven starters. So they're going to take a step back defensively and offensively, I think, and, and the schedule definitely does them no favors either. I, I, I don't see them getting out of the bottom this year. Yeah, Vandy has, of course, their permanent opponent in the West is Ole Miss, but their cross game this year is LSU, and you got to figure that's a loss. So I might have Vandy a tick too high, but five and seven, I mean, honestly, does it really matter? Uh, number four – and I, I actually, in my notes I have, I might have this team a little bit too high. But they have – Stoops has really done a good job with Kentucky. Now, I know Benny Snell is gone. And that's an NFL player that will, will definitely make some noise on Sunday this year, I feel like. And But I, I think they can get enough wins to, to creep ahead of Missouri and Vanderbilt. They uh, The cross games was really going to help help them this year. They have Arkansas as well, – they have Mississippi State as their permanent opponent. And Mississippi State has been good. They were pretty good under Mullen. And I think that Moorhead will be an adequate coach. But, honestly, there's a lot of other teams that, that I would re- – there's a lot of teams that I would not rather play than Mississippi State. Uh, Bama, LSU, Auburn, those are three teams that, you know, that I'm sure Kentucky's glad they don't have to play year in, year out. Their other cross game is Arkansas, and that should be a W. I know that uh, that Chad Morrison is second year, and we've talked about year number two being the magical the magical year. But Arkansas's talent level, believe it or not, I think Kentucky has more talent on the football field than Arkansas. Now, if we're talking hoops, we're definitely going to take Kentucky over Arkansas. But even in, even now on the on the gridiron, I feel that Kentucky's still a notch above them, so they should win both of those. I think they can can win against Missouri, Vanderbilt, Tennessee will be a toss-up. But if they can beat Missouri, Vandy, Tennessee, win their cross game with Arkansas, that should put them well on the way to the number four slot. Where where exactly do you see Kentucky finishing, Tom? Yeah, we're, we're not simpatico here on the East at all. I've got Kentucky barely edging Vandy out for the sixth spot. I know they were 10-3 last year, including a surprising bowl win over Penn State. Uh, but, uh, you have to go back to 1977 It's the last time Kentucky had a 10-win season. Uh, I expect it to probably be 41 more years before it happens again. I don't think they can repeat. They've lost, uh, they've lost too much. They're not a program that rebuilds, um, uh, 
I expect them to lose at least five games this year. But on the bright side for these guys, I do think they have a schedule that might get them to six wins, which gets them in a bowl game. And if you're a Kentucky fan, that's you know that's that's pretty much what you're looking for. So uh, they they might fulfill their lower expectations, but not repeating ten and three again. Got them at six. Got them at six. All right, we're moving now to the top three. I have my top three, uh, or my third number three team is South Carolina. And I honestly feel like three, four, and five could be easily interchangeable. So South Carolina, the reason I have them at three, I, I feel like they beat the, the teams I have at seven, six, five, and four. I feel like they win all four of those games. So there's four wins in the SEC East. And then they have their cross games or A&M Alabama could easily drop those two. Definitely should drop the Bama game. Florida, Georgia, I don't see them winning either one of those. So I, I've got them finishing at four and four, but they slide the number three spot because of the tiebreaker uh, that will the head-to-head tiebreaker over Vandy, Kentucky, Missouri, and Tennessee. Uh, Muschamp, you know he he needs to win this year. He's going to be on the hot seat somewhat. They have they play. As tough a schedule as anybody in the country. I mean, they're going to play Clemson. They're going to play Bama. They're going to play Georgia. They're going to play Florida. And they also have uh, they have North Carolina opening up in uh, in Charlotte for game one of the year. So, that I mean, that's no gimme there. So, it's going to be a tough road, road, to hoe, road to hoe for them. But I have them at number three. I got them at number five, and honestly, I don't think that there's a lot of difference between the third and the fifth place team in the East. Um, I think everyone expects Carolina to be better this year. That's me included. I think Bentley should be really good under center this year, but their schedule is brutal. I mean, they'll face what will likely be the preseason number one, number two, and number three teams in the country. They'll have to beat all the teams they're favored against, plus at least one win from either Florida, at Missouri, or at Texas A&M to make a bowl game. Uh, I have them at fourth in the East, but they they could easily slip behind Kentucky if, if Kentucky surprises. But, I, you know... Three is they're probably good enough to be three. I don't know their schedule will let them be. I got them at fifth.
All right, so our meaningless topic in episode two is going to be how many shots do I need to make a cut, make the cut at the U.S. Open? And as you know, the U.S. Open normally has the highest scores. When I say highest, the closest to par, maybe even over par. So I wanted to choose the U.S. Open. And I'll be honest with you, Tom, I kind of made a mistake here. Uh, I I knew that uh, Beth Page Black was, of course, used this year. And I did all my research on Beth Page Black, and I had all my uh, – T's crossed and my lowercase J's and I's dotted, and I realized that, in fact, Pebble Beach was the the, uh, the site of the U.S. Open this year. But we're going to stick with Beth Page Black because it has been used. <laughs> it has been used twice in the U.S. Open, and uh, and then of course this year it was used as in the PGA, and it is most difficult. They even have a sign that if you play Beth Page, you're going to get your picture made with a sign in the background that tells of the difficulty of the. Uh, of the course. So I'm an, excuse me, I'm an average golfer, maybe below average golfer. Definitely right now I'm below average. If I went out to the local course here, there's no way I would break a hundred. Now I'd probably par a couple of holes, might even birdie a hole, but there's no doubt there would be a snowman galore on the card. So with that said, to even attempt this, I'm going to have to get some rounds under my belt. So in this hypothetical situation, I've got two months to prepare. I get two rounds per week, and with uh, with a four-and-a-half-week four month normally, let's say we get nine weeks in, and uh, that gives me 18 rounds, and then I'll go to the range a handful of times. So that way I really feel like two weeks that I could go out and shoot right at 100, maybe under 100, a tad under 100 on a regular course, but we're not talking about a regular course. So with Beth Page, uh, most most par, most of the courses are par 72. Beth Page is actually a par 71. They have three par fives, four par threes, and then the remainder of par fours, and that would be 11 holes. Now, we've got professional golfers out there three-putting greens, so there's virtually no way I'm not going to three-putt a green unless it is just – sheer luck that I chip one in in kick-in distance. So on the par threes, I'm going double par all the way across the board. I'm going six strokes, and I will feel fortunate if I can get out in six strokes. So that, that puts us at 24 strokes. On the par fives, I'm probably going to give myself a tad bit too much credit here because I saw that one par five plays at like 608. Uh, that is definitely going to be driver, driver, driver my first three shots. So, but I'm going to say I'm going to come in the par fives at at, at eight strokes. So there's another 24 strokes. And on the par fours, I'm going to throw seven out there. That would be triple bogey on all of them. There's no doubt I'm going to throw some snowmen up on the board. But I really feel like, surely to goodness, I can get a bogey or at least a, a double bogey, maybe one or two holes. So that's got me coming in the after the, and remember, to make the cut, got to play two rounds. So that puts me in at 125, 125 strokes. So par 71, the good news is I don't have to hit par to make the cut. I don't have to hit under par to make the cut if history holds. The biggest number ever posted to cut was plus 15, and that was in 1966 at Olympic Fields or Olympia. But both both courses where the records are, the lowest and the highest, are both have Olympic in it, and it gets confusing. But it was in 1955, and back then, until recently, probably in the last 10 years, if you were within 10 shots of the lead, you made the cut. Uh, 
So hypothetically on that plus 15, the leader was at plus five after two rounds, and that is brutal golf for we got professionals out here that consistently go in the red, and every golfer on the course was in the black. Now the lowest cut line was plus three, and that was back in 2006. So what I've done, I didn't want to research year by year by year and get in bogged down by stats. I just took the lowest and the highest, add them together, divided by two. So 15 plus three is eight. Is um, excuse me, 18 divided by two is nine. So I'm going to say I need to come in into the clubhouse after the second round at plus nine. So that means I can shoot 74, or I can shoot 75, 76. But just for argument's sake, let's just say I post up back to back 75. Back to the with east, my we got three shots. teams left. So I what I've Florida got to do, I've, it's going to take yeah. me 125 have, no, shots number, per day. Two. Two so that's 50 left. shots I have over number the 75 and of leave, uh, for a total of 125. On the and then team. if I do that but on the Florida, second day. I feel confident I can make the cut. So my answer to the question, how many shots do I need to make oh, the cut at the, the U.S. Open? I need 250 well. shots after two days. This is the second Take the year handicap at, at away, Florida. and that is, it is. And I say uh, pretty embarrassing. I'm anxious to hear your take on it. If, if I'm way and, off, and way and high, way low, is the one that but takes uh, the you know you got to figure his cross game. Uh, Brooks Koepka, who is absolutely torching the course, brutal. He's probably going to come in at a legit one. fans know that. Forty-four. His cross game is Auburn. That's no picnic either. But luckily he gets Auburn. So at the Tom. Take it away. Yeah, just, 250 I, I, strokes. My, am I way off base or am I close? Three through seven teams. Well, Tennessee, Missouri, this, Vandy, Kentucky, South Carolina. This, he uh, should go 5-0. and I'm probably not going to go 5-0. and It's very difficult okay. to to go First undefeated off, or in the ACC. The and it's, it's very club, difficult to beat five teams in your division if you're not Georgia or you're not Alabama. So let's just say he goes 4-1. Let's say he splits the LSU and the the Auburn sure. the cross games in the West, huh? and then he loses to Georgia. He's going to be at 5-3. and three. He'll have the tiebreaker over I, the I think, I think teams. the Mulligan is Florida just a – so I think the pros just don't take Mulligans out of courtesy. But anyway, continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it may just be something they don't show on TV too. Yeah, I got the Florida Alligators at three. You keep – Leaping the to the conclusion that they'll, you no know, that Missouri links, is an no auto rolling, win. No Woody's, I think we've no already Mulligans, discussed no that, balls, that Missouri no is not an auto no win, and wedges, I've got no them in the two no spot. Trap releasers, no Mullen is no in Sunday that second balls. year, and they but did go 10 and 3 thing. last you know, year, the which worst was thing a little bigger than I thought they were going to do last year. But was it? They also hold the number six composite beer. ranking there in recruiting no over the last four years. On the US that was Open uh, pretty impressive. There's, I didn't realize no they were that cart. high on the list. There's no beer girl. Um, so they have no talent. Coolers. They just there's haven't put together an offense. There's no crying in baseball like talent. No beer on the PGA. That's course. why Mullins here. You're not going to get the. I'm out. I'm out. I don't even want to do it. He's got to go. I don't. I'm done. Yeah, I wasted a solid 17 minutes of research. On uh, this, all to be told, this I'm done. I'm done. Right. But so anyway, 250 shots for them and the ten win season. But uh, I still have them sneaking into the number three Delugia, spot. In did the you East. pass out over there? Okay, oh, I've got uh, you, man. That uh, brings us to number one, which is uh, we both have <laughs> Georgia, <laughs> and yeah, it has I, to be Kirby's year. I, I heard it? you. Um, He's been loud so and clear. Bama has ripped his hearts out. What's he? 
So I, I'm they, way they off they on 250. Is that what you're saying? Two years ago to win the ACC yeah, crown, and then and Tua enough. was went all uh, second and 26 enough, on them. Like and then last year in the ACC, they had us 28 to 14. I rewatched that game the other day. I didn't really give it a whole lot. We had little business winning that game at different junctures of the game. Now in the fourth quarter, we took care of business and we we. I'm taking a lot deserve of that Vegas victory, but they're up 28-14, and Squints trots out there for a field goal. Well, well uh, within his range, going I mean, to be under 50 yards. Bet. Heck, it might have been under 40 yards, but I, I'm going to say, just guessing, it was probably a 45, 42, maybe 39 yarder, and he misses it wide left, and you could just feel the air go out of the stadium. And then we come back to back touchdowns. They fake the punt. And we, and as we know, Jalen runs a great it in call on that fake punt, to give us the, the touchdown victory. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it cost them a quarterback, went to Ohio State. But I, Georgia has <laughs> the best offensive line in the ACC, possibly in the country, according to a number of pundits. They've got Zamir White coming back off injury. He should be 100%. Swift should be – DeAndre Swift should be the number one back in the ACC. And it's been a while since Bama has not been considered to have the number one back coming into the year, in my opinion. So the East is, is is a lot easier to navigate through than the West. I think that, that point bears out every year in and year out. So I've got them going 12-0 and and going to Atlanta. And regardless of the outcome in Atlanta, I've got them in the playoffs. So tell us your angle on Georgia, Tom. Well, blah, blah, blah on Georgia. They're good. They recruited well. They got similar talent to Alabama. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, from Swift, Thomas. I mean, they're going to make easy, easy, easy work of the East. Uh, it sounds like we're building up some of those teams in the East, like Florida and Missouri, particularly Missouri, to be pretty good. But, uh, you know, Georgia's still head and shoulders above all those guys. Um, you hit on it. Fromm, Swift, Thomas, all those three will be on one of the all th- the three All-American teams for a second or third team. They'll, they'll all make appearances there. Um, I will say this, though. And I'll, I'll get into this a little bit in uh, next week's podcast when we start covering the West teams. But uh, I disagree that Swift is the best running back in the SEC. Um, I'll just leave that little tidbit there. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, Georgia, heads and shoulders, they'll uh, they'll be in Atlanta again for, what, third, third or fourth consecutive year? Should be third, I believe. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, I know they right. went the last yeah. two. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, they, they went yeah. eight and five. I and guess, 16, uh, so they didn't get there. 16. Yeah, I guess we played. Uh, I know Bama went in 16. I guess we played Florida. I can't remember. We played one of the East Sacrificial Lambs, and I guess it was Florida. Well, that wraps up the East. Uh, number seven through number one, uh, seven, Tom has Vandy. I have Tennessee. Six, Tom has Kentucky. I have Missouri. Number five, I have <clears throat> SC. Tom has Vandy. Number four, Tom has Tennessee. I have Kentucky. Number three, Tom has Florida. I have SC. Number two, Tom has Missouri. I have Florida. And number one, we both have Georgia. Whoop, whoop. So... That wraps up, and I think I actually said one of those backwards, but 
Uh, If you were listening intently to the podcast like you should have been, you caught the mistake and you knew exactly (laughs) what I was talking about. Now let's move on to our Instagram model of the week. Last week was Sophia Beverly. I'm sure you all checked her out and gave her a follow on Instagram. This next one is Kindly Myers. Her name is Kindly. Like, she is so kindly to put her bikini-clad pictures on the Internet for us. K-I-N-D-L-Y. That is her Instagram name. She's kind of like Madonna. She's a one. She's a one-name gal, but she is from Nashville. She's a former Playboy playmate, and I, there's a very good chance that if I run up on her in Nashville, she will have a restraining on order on me before the night ends. So, Tom, I snapped you a picture of her. Tell us what you think about the Instagram model of the week. Well, I took a brief peek at her, but uh, then I spent most of my afternoon taking photographs of my lovely wife Deb. I'd show them to you, but. Uh, you could see this one doesn't stack up either. I can't bear to part with any of these pictures, so you're not getting any of them. But uh, Deb keeps turning it up a notch, and I'm not complaining. Keep trying, my friend. All right. Quickly, quickly, uh, mailbag for the week. Let me reach in the mailbag bag and pull one out. Let's see what we got here. This question is from Tara in Cropwell, Alabama. Do you know where Cropwell is? It is close to Pell City. Love the show, guys. Can you tell me why sometimes a player doesn't get in the end zone, yet he gets credit for a touchdown? Would you care to explain that to her, Tom? Could you repeat the question? Yeah. She said, well, and I don't know, maybe the question wasn't clear. She says, can you tell me why sometimes a player that has the football does it, he doesn't get in the end zone, but he gets credit for a touchdown. So I guess what she's saying is he gets very close to the touchdown, and I think what she's getting at is the ball crosses the plane. He fumbles. Body. It. Oh, I, no, no, no. The ball, the ball crosses the. That's what I'm reading between. I'm reading the tea leaves here. I think she's talking about when the ball crosses the plane. Yet the player never gets his body in the end zone. She's a little confused on that. Can you I tell see. us the touchdown ruling? And what was her name again? Tara from Cropwell. Tara? Okay, Tara. Well, uh, that's a good question, Tara. That's one of the better questions we've had in the mailbag. Uh, Tara, college football is set up for uh, in a, such a manner that the football is the primary uh piece of equipment that has to get if you want to consider it a piece of equipment it's the primary thing that has to cross the goal line and not necessarily the body so once the football breaks the plane of the end zone if it's in control by the uh, player that has the ball then it's considered a touchdown. Conversely, if the player was to go in backwards and his whole body was in there, but his but it, the football was still outreached and did not cross the uh, end zone line, that is not a touchdown. So it's all about the football, and it doesn't even have to be the entire part of the football. Just the tip is good enough to get across the end zone and get you uh, six points, which is what you'll see a lot of time in goal line situations when the running back leaps over the top, outstretches his arms, and only the tip of the ball goes over the line while he's being pummeled to the ground by the defensive lineman. So uh, in summary, the football itself, as long as it's in control by the ball carrier, uh, if it crosses the plane, it is a touchdown. 
Good question. Yeah, that was very good. And, you know, speaking of Just the Tip, I listened to a podcast last week entitled Just the Tip, but I think the contents of that would not be appropriate for some of our listeners. So this that wraps it up for tonight. I'd like to thank you guys for listening to Episode 2. I hope you check out our next episode where we're going to break down the SEC West. Remember, uh, if you want to tweet at us, uh, use the hashtag targeting, not targeting. Tell us what you think. And uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, which is D's Vodka. It's as smooth as Charlie Sheen on Tinder. Until next week, remember, if you're leaving Panama City Beach you need to, and you're trying to get to Auburn, you need to go north till you smell it and east till you step in it. Take it easy, guys. When you find yourself alone, your demons come to light, and your mind is not your own. Lonely is the night.